Hello again, I'm Brian Martins, and you are listening to The Spoken Symbol. The Spoken Symbol is a podcast that brings poetry, interviews, and topics that bring awareness, transformation, and deep intuition into your life. Once upon a time, there was a story about the universe, and it began with symbols spoken. There was nothing else except spoken symbols. These symbols became words, and these words were crafted to have meaning. People continued to craft words that had meaning, and they built their world upon these meanings. Open all your senses to the meaning that poets give to our world. Relax. Take a deep breath. Allow yourself to be transported by the metaphorical language of poetry. Magic happens once upon a time. Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm here with uh, Kitty Cole, and continuing from my last interview with Malcolm Berg-Smith, we're going to do more chatting about listening and communications. And Kitty Cole is in Walnut Creek, and she's done a lot of work in that. And we're just going to jump right in. You've heard the bio already, so you know how uh, well-versed she is in the topic and all the work she's done with training students and coaching. And so, Kitty, good morning, and tell me how you got started in the communications work. Hi, Brian. Uh, I probably got started 25 years ago or so with um, another woman that I met through a, a training. She was a therapist, and we started doing trainings together. We wrote something called Creating Exceptional Relationships. So that was my first business exposure. But if I could back up for a second, the way that I actually learned about listening and how important it was is, uh, like many of us, I had a father that lectured us at the dinner table. And I noticed all the time that I felt like he was talking at me, not to me. And he was a really great host. This was the hard part for me. He was a really great host when other people were at the dinner table, guests. And he would always really beautifully ask them a lot of questions about them. It might be an hour later. He would refer to something that they'd answered in the hour before. And I thought, wow, what a, you know, that was great. And I was shy. So I really was paying attention to what he was doing. And then I realized he didn't listen to me, but he listened to other people. And I thought, well, maybe I'll take the good parts of that. And then, <clears throat> so I was in my 20s. This was a great story. It's embarrassing to tell you, but it's a good story. I was the store manager of one of the iMagnon stores. I was in the Walnut Creek branch and I got a a survey done about me. They did them on all the store managers. And the feedback that was negative was embarrassing. It was that when I was talking to them, I would be reading something. I would be futzing with something on my desk. And I thought, hmm, this isn't good. So I changed that right away. So if I was talking to one of my managers, I had like 14, I thought, I need to have eye contact with them. So I changed that and then listened to the higher level and I got uh, much better and I realized how offensive it was. It was invalidating to people. So I learned how to do what I call the gift of listening. And then when I taught that class with that woman named Paula, it was very powerful that we got, we both got something out of it. She taught me about Carl Rogers and many other people that studied listening and how to be present and how to be empathic and so on. And then I took that into my training and just kept adapting to the business I do. So business coach for real estate and mortgage brokers primarily, but doing business coaching in other areas as well. Yeah. Sorry, long story. Yeah, no, fine. When I went into the, uh, 
looks like some feedback's going on. Uh, anyway, when I went into the conflict resolution program, this is my first episode with that. I thought, oh, listening, you know, yeah, I mean, we, we're going to listen and I'm going to listen. But it took me about two or three years to realize when you're with a group of, group of people doing like a mediation, listening is the most really important. So tell me more about, um, can you say more about the gift of listening or, you, or putting yourself in other people's shoes like you've learned? Sure. Um, one of the biggest things is that I feel like we're not really interested in other people. You know, everybody's favorite subject, I think, is themselves. And <laughs> for those of us who are actually curious and care about what others have to say, what they think, what they feel, what they've experienced, a couple of things. I generally have um, dinner parties with some friends, usually three or four times a year. And one of the things that I've done there, which has been so interesting and uh, revealing, I ask people what I call the big question. And at the last dinner party about three or four months ago, I asked the question, what makes you vulnerable? And the eight of us sat around and revealed things that I don't think any of us really knew about each other. One wife said later, she said, I've never heard any of that story from my husband. And it, to me, it means that we don't ask the questions that elicit those really personable answers and not personable, really revealing answers. So one of them was describing about getting beat up as a bully and to listen to that story was, it was heart wrenching, gut wrenching, but it was also, I suddenly understood who he was. He's really shy and kind of has trouble with eye contact sometimes, things like that. But <clears throat> another one said he uh, did something embarrassing when he was in third grade and he became shy immediately after that and never really spoke up or said what he thought or felt and he's learned to squash his feelings. So in that dinner party, I would say that was the most interesting dinner party I've ever had in my entire life. And you know, I'm in my 60s, so that's a long time. And I love dinner parties just for that reason. The intimacy of that was amazing. So I think the reason I like the gift of listening is it's so powerful to find out who somebody is at the deepest level. And if they're willing to tell you a story like we were doing at that dinner party, then there's this deep, intimate connection. And that's kind of what I live for. I want that connection to my, my partner, my friends, my my niece, etc. So I can tell you a little bit more when I tell you a story about the exercise. So tell me when you're ready for that, because I want to um, I want to share that. It's been an amazing uh, ride, I would say. Well, yeah. Let's let's have a story. Uh, go ahead. Okay. So um, one of the ones that was kind of funny was a uh, a guy named Sill. He was an engineer in a big architectural engineering firm in Danville, and I had been with the company as a trainer and coach for quite a while, so it still knew me. It wasn't a kind of scary exercise, but I asked all of them to do this. There was probably, let's say, 15 to 20 people in the room, and they were mostly men and mostly older white men is what I would say. So pardon me, but you're kind of in that category. Yeah. But the older, older white men in the room generally don't listen very well. This guy was a little bit younger, Filipino, lovely person, and I gave everybody the exercise to go home listen to somebody in their household that they found either or someone who was at least a connected person didn't have to be really uh living with them but somebody let's say like um a mother-in-law father-in-law niece nephew friend anybody that could be tedious like they didn't really listen very well so Silk goes home does it with his mother-in-law and he comes back and this is what he says to me in front of everybody he said <laughs> it was a sweet story he said you changed my life I have always been totally bored by my mother-in-law. I just blocked her out. I never listened because she kind of yammers on all the time. 
And he said, I, this is the exercise. I asked her a question. I listened to the answer. Then I took what she said. I reframed it, asked another question or made a statement and then kept the conversation on her, which is the magic of the listening to me. And he said, I did it again and again and again. And sometimes, by the way, people think something's up, like, what are you doing? Why are you listening suddenly? And you haven't for 40 years or whatever. And he said, it was so strange for me because I was so out of my element. But he said, I have a relationship with her now. It's changed my life forever. And of course, it's really good because his wife always wanted him to understand her mother. And he didn't because he never actually even heard what she was saying. So he found that she was really an interesting person and lovely. So that makes my heart sing when I hear stories like that. Um, I have another one that's actually even better. So I think you'll like this one. Yeah. Years ago, again, probably eight or 10 years ago, I was doing a training for a whole bunch of real estate agents. And one of whom was an, a Sonoma real estate agent. He was brand new, didn't have any experience in real estate, kind of making lots of mistakes and so on, but doing really well and quickly. The class was about a 10 week training. Let's say that we're in class 11 or 12, very near the end. I give everybody the exercise and he comes back in and I said, who would like to check in? And I remember his eyes just filled with tears and he said, you changed my marriage of 23 years or whatever it was, 26 maybe. And I happened to have known his wife. She was a buyer at iMagnet years and years ago. So I just said, I know Susan. Anyway, he tells the story and he said, I listened to her, I asked a question, I listened again, I asked a question, he said I did it all seven days, we met every seven days, and he said it was such an amazing experience, he said I've never listened to her ever like that, and I, I didn't know how. So again, <laughs> this is why I do what I do, because I realized that if I can change one little relationship at a time, then I, I have this great gratitude and satisfaction. Deeply rewarding to do that. So the exercise is powerful. Yeah, so how um so yeah the intimate conversations you know how do you relate that to people i mean that's that's the gold really as i you've told two great stories to impact somebody to change their whole communication pattern with their loved ones or family so how um how do you get them to because people have to feel comfortable before they'll share something like that how do you how do you work with them to get um, to get more comfortable to share something like that? I think it actually takes a few either sessions or some time with people because you don't just jump into it. You probably know this about women, but women can go to a cocktail party and find somebody within 15 minutes, they're learning their life story, and that person is totally comfortable blurting out everything about their personal life, professional life to this woman, just because women do that. I've actually been teased that I do that. It's getting comfortable in your own skin and then asking the questions and then continuing to just be interested. Being present is a huge part of this. If people are taking notes about what we're saying, being present and staying right with it, and then really responding to what they said. Can I give you an example? Because I think I want to show you how it works. Yeah. So this is another uh, true story that's really bizarre, but I told you about this you know, a few weeks ago when we, we discussed this. I met this guy through Match.com a few years ago. He was on, um, he was in Walnut Creek. He was very comfortable financially. He was a nice guy. He was smart. He was all kinds of things, but he was a terrible listener. Everything was I, 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 me, me, me. When he'd ask me a question, I'd answer, but he'd never ask me another question. And it would go right back to uh, him. And, you know, my life, I, this, I went on vacation, I'm traveled, whatever. I thought, oh, God, it was just tedious. So I... <laughs> 
true story. I break up with him. I very gently say, you are a terrific guy in lots of ways, but I need somebody who's curious. And I'm really interested in you, but you don't seem to be very interested in me, at least by the lack of questions. That's the message I'm getting. And I said it nicely so that I didn't you know, get into a fight or anything with him. He was very open to what I had to say. And then literally he went to a party that night, a cocktail party he'd been invited to. So he's quote, not attached or single, you know, whatever he's available. And he called me the next day and said, I met a nurse last night. It was amazing. I asked her questions. I kept asking, because I told him about the exercise. He kept asking questions and he said, I had the most amazing connection. This is funny though, isn't it funny? Like how it seems pretty simple, but you have to practice it and then obviously be sincere. You can't do this and not be authentic. So he said, I have a date with this lovely nurse. She was fantastic. I've never connected with somebody that quickly and, and I get it. So anyway, you know, he got the message, but um, he went on to somebody else. Oh, well, <laughs> so it was fine. Yeah, yeah. And I just noticed that I, with the feedback coming once in a while, I can't talk the same time as you are. So I'll, I'll, I'll be aware that I'll let you finish before I start. Okay. But, um, well, we could get into the, the men and the women part, but I totally understand guys are built a little bit different. But in your practice and your coaching, you have men and women uh, agents and people attending your conferences and all that. So, um, and I, I understand you probably can't separate uh, when you're speaking to them, they all have to get it because you, you can't, you probably don't separate them into groups, but I guess any more information would be helpful how, because uh, I sense, like you said, women gather and they're just, built to communicate differently than guys. Um, but it's about getting their attention. Tell me more about maybe how you've seen that work in all your years of, um, yeah, all your years of work with, with both men and women. So um, bluntly, and I'll say this about women and men too, is that most people don't really listen well. I ask people to rate their listening skills sometimes when I'm in a training and the vast majority say, oh, I'm a nine, I'm a 10, I'm a really great listener. And then I do a listening exercise, a different one, not, not what I've been sharing, but something else. And I discovered they didn't hear anything. They, they don't hear it. What they're doing is formulating their next question or statement, but it usually is about them. And so then that's why they cut off listening. In business, I'll give you two other little stories because these one is really powerful for me. I learned it myself. When you have a form that you're filling out, like I coach real estate agents a lot and one-on-one, -on -one, they might have, let's say, husband and wife sitting in front of them and they'll be discussing uh, what, what are they looking for? Let's say a buyer and a buyer, two buyers are sitting in front of them and they say, the agent would say, how many bedrooms would you like? How many baths, square footage? Do you want a yard? Do you want a view? And that looks like they're a good listener because they're going through everything. But what happens is because they're filling in a form and they're filling in spaces, they don't actually ask the question that might be a tangential, tan, tangential question coming off of the answer of something. So let's say they said, uh, what's most important to you in buying a house? And the husband says, security. And she, the agent, let's say it's me, and I write down security, but I don't know what security means to him. So forms make you not listen sometimes because you're filling in blanks and you don't actually ask the other question. So then I would say to him, Tell me what security means to you. Does it mean gated community? Does it mean a safe street? Does it mean 
a street without a thoroughfare, maybe a cul-de-sac, what, what is it that it means? Because it means something different to me. Another question that real estate agents often ask, and it's just uh, so simple, but if a client said, um, I had a really bad experience with my previous agent, this is a true story too, and you say, okay, so great, and I'll tell them, so they say uh, communication, communication wasn't so good. Communication wasn't so good and so vague, you don't know if it means it was too frequent, too infrequent, uh, that it was, uh, in, you know, wasn't complete. What does that mean? You don't know. So you have to ask another few questions. So when you're listening, you have to really listen to the answer and think, do I need to go down that path or do I need to keep going on my questionnaire form? And that's how people, I train, retrain people all the time to say, did you actually hear what they didn't say? So that's a great sentence that I've used for years. The best listeners actually what I call uh, read between the lines. So they hear what's not said and they start to pick up on, oh, I need to ask more questions about the furniture that they have that's so oversized, they're, they're going to have to have a giant living room or giant family room. The details make the bonding start. So let me kind of go into why I'm telling you all this. I have coaching clients that tell me about conflict with their clients. And then I say to them, did you explain this up front? Did you explain that? Did you ask them about what, what situation they're in right now? And uh, this is a long answer. Sorry, but, but I, I think it's super important to tell you this part. A, this happened about probably eight years ago when I wrote this training. I said, did you put yourself in the shoes of the client? And the person said, I don't know what you mean by that. And I said, what are they feeling emotionally? What are they feeling uh, familial? What's going on in their family situation? What's the reason for the move? Why, why are they moving? So a lot of times it's birth, death, divorce, move up, move down, kids are out, things like that. I have to move back east to, to take care of my mom. So just to make up an example, what if the client said, um, I have to move to a bigger house, but I'm gonna be relocating to Arizona. I just, I need more space. But she never says I need more space because my uh, invalid mother or father are gonna move in with me. And I need to have a large place because I might have to have a caretaker room also with an extra bedroom and bath. That detail, if you stop and listen to that and you suddenly say, wow, I'm so sorry about that. So you have to quit your job here at B of A, partially a true story, and move down to Arizona to take care of your mom. So how, how are you feeling about that? Instead of like, oh, okay, you just write it down. There's no emotional connection between you and the client because you didn't stop to listen to what they said. That's a really emotional reason to move probably not a happy one either, right? That's not their ideal picture. Let's say the person's in their 50s and their, their parents are in their 80s. They still have a lot of work life and they still have a lot of you know, time for themselves, but that's gonna go out the door if they have their parents move in. That's what, really what I'm talking about is it changes everything. Brian, I wanna tell you one more thing that was so funny. This happened a few days ago. <laughs> I'm so shocked by these stories too and I wanna smack the agents a little bit and say, come on, I've trained you long enough, you should not be doing this. So. Somebody that I coached for a long time said to me recently, she's ending with me, which is good because she's not listening is what I'm really getting. She, st she starts with, hi, how are you? I start to answer, she talks over me. What is that, right? She's not interested in the answer. It's just this thing she does by rote. Hi, how are you? And she starts talking. So she doesn't really care what people think. If she does that with a client, the relationship is not gonna be built. She's not that successful. And to me, that probably is the reason why. Uh, yeah. Well, we're, you know, I've done some work with uh, Joseph Campbell's one of my favorites, but, and he said before, we're meaning making machines. We're always making meaning. And by asking all those extra questions, you get 
you get below because people, you know, like you said, they have to be comfortable. And if you just stay on the surface, they're not going to share <clears throat> about the mother-in-law or those other things that are really driving <clears throat> driving their move or driving their wish to buy a different house. I mean, you do such a great service by opening up that for people to to share because maybe they're uncomfortable sharing. But I mean, when we're, when we're all asked a question, we rarely say, Oh, I can't answer that, but they've been, but they need prompting to, Oh, she asked about my mother-in-law. Jeez. I could talk about her for a day because yeah. nobody else, nobody else asked me about that. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's great that you've um, cultivated that listening skill and imparting it with people. Um, and it's, I mean, the stories are just great because look how it's changed a couple of people's lives with one conversation, really, you know, I mean, so do, have you noticed how some people get it, you know, right away and some people don't? Is, is yes. There a... <laughs> all the time. Yes. All the time. Tell me. So, yeah. Tell me. so can I tell you something about zoom meetings that are just so curious to me? Oh yeah, that's a hot topic right now. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I like Zoom meetings. I think they're great. Obviously, we're doing one right now. Mm -hmm. But um, what happens, as you know, all kinds of things stop us from listening. If we're nervous, we stop listening. And I'll go to the Zoom meetings in a second. If we're making sure that we're asking the right next question, we stop listening. Listening can get stopped by probably 10 or 15 things. And one of the worst is that we're just in our own head and we're worried or nervous about what we're going to say and how we're being perceived. So if we would just calm down, be present, I think it's actually okay to not have your next question formulated at all and just listen and then pause for a minute, slow down, and then ask the right question again or make a statement that's appropriate. But it shows when we go right to our next question, we don't even acknowledge their answer that we didn't hear it. Even if we wrote it down, we didn't really hear what it meant. Okay, so back to Zoom meetings. I just sent out an e-newsletter yesterday or the day before about Zoom protocol because it's been so amusing but also annoying to be on a call. So there was one I was doing not too long ago. Let's say I had 35, 40 people on it. And what I noticed is a whole bunch of people had blocked out their photo. So they had unmuted themselves, which I'd asked them to do, and then they blocked their photo. Then sometimes they come back in they unmute themselves without thinking. There's a whole bunch of noise behind them. I have to figure out who it is and say, okay, unmute yourself, especially when we were doing an interactive exercise. And <laughs> there was like something that I noticed too. Some people look like they just got out of bed. Some people are you know, completely dressed like you know, they're in pajamas. Um, everybody's hair looks wild or it's long because we can't get haircuts and so on. But the, the biggest thing is there were so many times when I'd say something in one of these trainings and then somebody would wave their hand or do the chat thing and they'd ask me a question. And the question was literally just answered the minute before. So I think <laughs> it's just telling me they checked out multitasks, which you actually can't do. I read this, uh, I heard this on KQED one time, a neurologist was being interviewed and he said, your brain doesn't actually do two things at once. And I said, makes sense because you think you can go do something over here while you're listening to your Zoom meeting, but you can't, you actually are doing one and that's why I got these questions right after I'd given the answer. 
So I have to be very polite and say, uh, I just answered that and answer again as such and such and be you know, warm and friendly. But I want to say, come on, if you're going to come on the call, listen. So back to the gift. Right? It's a gift back to me when somebody listens as well as the coach. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. No, and, and I mean, honestly, we had a little chat before we started recording. Yes. And I have a list of questions and, but I'm, I want to be, I mean, I want to do what you tell me to do as far as listening. And I, I want to pay attention because that's going to lead me to a more interesting question than totally jumping to a different topic. So my brain's trying to, of course, be attentive because that's where, I mean, I think we both know that's where the interest and the gold is because oh, she told this story and that leads into this comment and this fact about this person or listening. And yeah, I get that, <clears throat> that that's, that's really important. Um, tell me more about, um, well, we've talked about the Zoom and, and I guess what else, because at some point we may go back to something more personal and have meetings it sounds like they're going to be quite different than they were before i agree um are you preparing we don't know how that's going to work but are you preparing anything differently or you, we just have to wait till it uh, we know what the protocols are i'm trying to imagine in advance what's going to be happening especially for my coaching clients and their industries but right now i don't have enough information to really have a plan i have a couple changes one thing that one of my coaching clients told me, her name is Laura, she's a real estate agent in Oakland. And she said, and it was a great story actually. She said, I've had six interviews with buyers on the phone, excuse me, on Zoom going through what she calls her buyer's handbook. It's a marketing materials piece that we created together. And she said, it, she just went through it. She sent it to them by PDF. They were flipping through page by page. And she said, I felt like I had their attention in a higher level. I felt like I built more rapport and maybe it's because they really had to focus on my face and stay with me and flip through on the, you know, on the handout she was showing them. There was something about the connection. She said it was a better, six better buyer initial consultations than she'd had before. And she's relatively new, maybe a couple of years in the business. So this is good for her to see the contrast of the before COVID and post COVID. So I think that's where we're going is we'll have probably more serious clients. I don't think people will waste our time and hopefully we won't waste theirs. Mm -hmm. So is, there, is it going to be a combination of things? Um, in other industries, I just think that at some point, some of us are going to be tired of it. A coaching client called it being Zoomed out. He said, I hate Zoom. I'm sick of it. I've had three meetings, four meetings a day. And he said, I, you know, I just, I'd rather do something else. I want to get in front of people. I think we're missing the emotional connection. So because of that, let's say this goes on for another two months. I was reading the Chronicle this morning and, uh, We've got another month, maybe six weeks, whatever, still sheltered in place to some degree. And I'm gonna be here at home and instead of driving to my clients, which I normally do. I think it's gonna be a little bit different where I have to make more, make more of a point to build rapport. I just got a new client and we have not met each other. We've just been doing this by Zoom for maybe three sessions. And I feel emotionally connected to her because we spent a lot of time talking about her, her background, and I found out that who worked for Neiman's when I worked for a Magnet. And so we know some of the same people, small world. So again, by listening and questioning people, we'll uncover things that'll make us feel more connected, even though we're going through this disconnected 
sense of meeting. Okay. Yeah, and, and not to to blame the um, the technology is. I mean, there's, it sounds like there's been some positive things with certain clients with Zoom. So maybe it's learning in a different way, of course, how to pay attention. I mean, if you're in the Zoom meeting, show up, be be ready, just like you would if you're in a, a physical location, you're dressed and you're attentive. So maybe it's gonna take us longer to learn how to be more effective in Zoom. What are you hearing? Is it just becoming comfortable with the technology or? I think it's it's both being comfortable in your own skin comes across on the on the Zoom meeting, and I think that's one. But the other part is you have to learn the technology. I'm going to do a breakout session in a training probably this afternoon, and it'll be my first time. I might make a few mistakes and stumble through it, but everybody will be forgiving because they know it's all new and fresh to all of us. But I think it's actually going to be beneficial. I think we're fine. Uh, I feel like a little bit more. I have a little more control of my own coaching clients in a big training than I do over having putting the training out there to the real estate community. They are not going to be as attentive as my own clients because mm -hmm. they don't know me. So um, can I tell you a couple other things? Can I um, share one more thing about dating, which I think is funny? Yeah. Yeah. That I wanna, you, you mentioned to me before about a, a possible book. So I, I don't want to forget that either. So okay. Go ahead. All right. Okay. Thanks for that, for that reminder. So, probably seven, eight years ago, I meet this guy that I thought was a wonderful guy. And he was funny. He was smart. He was interesting. He lived in Marin. And we spent about, I don't know, two or three months together. Not a ton of dates, but let's say I saw him once or twice a week. And then it got to be more and got to be a little more serious. And I realized that he didn't really know anything about me because he would do this. He would, my niece's name is Maggie. And he, he would say, so how's your niece and he, he'd kind of go you know like margaret maggie and i could tell that he couldn't remember her name and i thought after two or three months and we're exclusive to each other he can't remember and then he asked me something else and he said tell me about john and uh my these two really good friends he couldn't remember the wife's name and i said you know john and judith and uh stuff like that so one time when i was saying to him are you really curious about me he seemed curious about life curious about others he was asking others about him, others about themselves when we were together with maybe another couple or whatever. But then I realized he was actually a narcissist and narcissists don't actually listen to listen. They listen so that they can tell you about them and little things like this. I finally said to him one day, cause I was just getting to the point where it's hilarious to me. I said, what's my niece's name? And he looked at me and he said, uh, Maggie. And I said, good one. Got to check. I said, what are my parents' names? Cause he, you know, I knew his parents' names. I knew his, um, stepkids' names. I knew his ex-wife's names. I knew most of his friends. I've met some of his friends. I knew where he went to school. I knew what his degrees were. I knew everything, like, you know, where he was born, raised, everything. Mm -hmm. like he lived overseas. We talked about all that, and I said, where was I born? <laughs> Doesn't know. Where did I grow up? Doesn't know. Where did I go to school, college? Doesn't know. Doesn't know anything. Even though I might have said it, he never heard it. So let me just uh, differentiate something. Lots of books and studies talk about this, about hearing and listening. And always people say, well, which one is better? If you listen to it, it doesn't mean actually that you heard it and took it and absorbed it. So most people define hearing as better than listening. So that's something that was hilarious to me. 
he actually heard it, his ears heard it, but he never took it into his brain and kind of memorized any of it. Obviously not important to him. What was important to him was him. So that was funny. That did not work. Yeah, great. Um, I've heard when you bring up the distinction, I never hear the classes that are about hearing. It's all about listening. Uh-huh. So it's interesting that um, there is a difference. You know, listening does seem to be more encompassing. Um, I mean, it's a fine, it's a fine line. But uh, I mean, what you're saying is just get it, you know, just take it all in, pay attention to, I think, the whole person, too. I mean, body language, we know is important. Uh, all those cues, uh, and find out what's important to people. And I know communication is really, really important to you. And so let's go into that. Um, I think you've read, you've written a couple books or a book, or, I mean, you've done a lot of coursework with the, uh, the clients. And so you're, you're, I know you're used to writing and how that's, how's that going to roll out? Uh, well, I'm actually in the, the very end of a real estate book. So it's got, it's a compilation of all the trainings and, uh, forms, letters, tools that I've written for years, for 25, 25 years of coaching and training. Actually, I was, no, 26, almost 27. Wow, I'm kind of counting as I'm talking to you. Um, so in the last year, I decided that I would start writing the listening book, and I just actually did a little bit of work in the last couple of weeks on it, realizing certain stories that are happening in my coaching practice will be great fodder for the book. That's not going to be a big, long book. It's just going to be about, I call it the gift of listening, but the... Um, the heart of it is about, and I haven't been able to find this in studies or online or talking to people. I asked a therapist friend, is there a listening study that you think was the best one that you ever took? And she told me, go after look at so-and-so. And then I read that one. And it's like, mm, that's not what I'm talking about. So I haven't found this little exercise in the way that I'm describing this anywhere in a book or training or anything or online. So I'm hoping that it's fresh and new, but I'll do my homework before I publish it. And it's just simply about what we've been talking about today, but a little more in depth and giving examples about great listening, mediocre and the very poor low level listening that isn't listening at all. It's just, again, you know, they, they heard the words, but they didn't take it in. So, well, thank you for uh, about that. yeah. And, oh, I remember doing the, uh, in the conflict resolution work, they talked about listening, but you know, after talking to you today and just, you know, our conversations, it feels like that should be a bigger topic in the conflict resolution work. And, and maybe there's research studies there. I mean, we kept talking about it. Uh, it took me a few years to, to finish that course, but, and it's, it's also practice, you know, being in a room with, with two people in a mediation, what did they say? What's really important, not just asking a question about something that's really not re- relevant for either one of them. So um, I'm surprised that there's not more. I mean, you as you dig in, you'll probably find some more information. But I'm just surprised that um, because that's as we see, that's what's what's not happening with people. No, uh, it's not. It happens all the time when uh, somebody talks about their vacation. This is something I've noticed too, so I use this as one of my exercises. If I said, Brian, <clears throat> tell me about your, 
<clears throat> pardon me, tell me about your favorite vacation. And you start to tell me about going to Hawaii and snorkeling and you went out to uh, such and such a point and you saw this and you saw that. And then I say, oh, I just went to Hawaii too. And I bring it right to me. I never ask you another question about what you did, where you went, what you ate, the tours you took. And I bring it to me and I talk, 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 talk. Somewhere in your soul, you feel invalidated. And that's the part that I just hate is that, uh, wow, that was all. You asked me a question so that you could tell me about you. That was the point of the question. That's the narcissism. And that's the, the part that I dislike so much. Um, so back to your, think, your thinking, you said the word practice, by the way. I'd love to, when we get to the end, talk about that. It is a practice. It is something you practice a little bit every day with your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors, everybody you're talking to. Instead of just saying, hi, how are you? Is actually, hi, how are you? Listen to the answer and respond to the answer instead of I, I, I. I always just use the phrase, tell me more about that. So what was that like? Using open-ended questions is as simple as it gets. That's one of the tricks here. But I just think, uh, again, I, I'm thinking about other stories, which is so funny, I won't do it, but it, it's so common. I got a call yesterday from somebody that I hadn't talked to in about four or five years. He was my car service guy at my car dealership probably five, six years ago. I kept his number in my phone and he called me yesterday and he said, I always loved our banter and the way that you connected and stuff. I remember things about him that he's just telling me about his, you know, he's just got a girlfriend, he got engaged and this and that. And I think, where, where in my brain did I park that so that my memory, you know, it kept with me. I connected to him, he connected to me. He checked me out in the Bay Area as a coach, called me and said, one of my dear friend's mother's mother works with you. And I said, I do, I know her, yeah, really well, she's lovely. Anyway, he checked me out and I'm gonna start coaching him. That came from listening, as we were connecting four or five years ago, and he's a salesman par excellence. He is like one of those people that you will never find in a car dealership because he is the best one. He got promoted, 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 became a manager and so on, and now he started his own coaching practice. A super smart guy. Why? Because he's a great listener. Wow. Good story. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, gosh, um, well, we talk about people persons, you know, some people are people persons and they, and some people aren't. So not to be judgmental about the other people, like the quiet people or whatever, but they, it's like they can deepen their world by, by listening more. Um, and I'm just trying to, in my own mind, figure out how, uh, to make it, I mean, so how do you make it interesting for people to show up at your, um, at your coaching, your trainings and your, your training and coaching practice? What, what have you found that will entice people to, to, to meet you, see you take your courses? I mean, they must feel that they're heard by the way you present yourself and word of mouth from other people. Um, I mean, I guess that's just your training over the years is how to attract people to your, to your work. That's a really big question, by the way. And that, <laughs> thank you for the question. I, I like it a lot. I'm thinking, hmm, how did you, how do you deepen your relationships? You just, I had to sit and think for a second. So I'm kind of stalling <laughs> answering <Okay>. you. <clears throat> what I would say is uh, one or two things, and then there might be something else as I'm saying this. I noticed that when a relationship <clears throat> gets very, um, 
deep quickly with a person, could be a man or a woman. It's that we spend some time getting to know each other. They're what I call the idle chit chat instead of being two minutes. Hi, how are you? How about the Niners? Not that shallow stuff. We go right to deeper things. I asked somebody yesterday, she's got two children at home, I think two small ones. How is it? And she said, it is so hard. And I understand the moms and the dads during the COVID, the, what we call SIP, shelter in place, has been so challenging. We stayed on that. And I said, I think you actually have it the hardest. We were connecting over that because I thought my life is good with the shelter in place. I'm having fun. I'm you know, swimming, walking, I'm working, but I don't have to drive all day long, which is what I was doing before. So I kind of like that part. But the deepening of the relationship came because we talked about what she's experiencing right now. I want to explain something for a second. This is another little mini part of the training. Again, if our listeners are taking notes, this might be important. The way that I figure out how to connect with somebody is I go to these six or seven categories. I'll name what it, as many as I can remember. But I go to those categories and think, what are they experiencing right now? One of those categories has got stress in it, maybe sometimes two or three. So let's say in a real estate situation, I'm talking to a client who's got to move and uh, they're going through a divorce. So their familial situation is one category. It's a mess because they're getting divorced. And let's say they didn't choose the divorce. So that would be really hard. They have to move. Moving is considered a high stress thing. Getting a mortgage is considered high stress. Um, another thing is they maybe have to change jobs or they lost their job. So that would be career is one of the categories. Another might be physical. Somebody's got a physical ailment. They're ill. Child's ill. Mom's ill. Something's changing where they have to leave a house. Maybe it has stairs and they can't. They have MS and they can't walk up, up and down the stairs anymore. They need what's called a level in-house. In the other categories, one is intellectual, which doesn't usually count very much. Um, I'm missing a couple. So let's say it's career, family, physical, the reason for the move, which I was kind of referring to. And once you see how many areas, categories of stress they have, then you want to respond appropriately and said, wow, you have so much on your plate. And it might be as simple as this. You're making a move because you're getting divorced. So you have a divorce going, you have to move, you have to buy a new house, you're changing a job all at the same time, plus you've got kids, so there's five right there. And you say, I can't imagine what you're going through because I've never been through it myself, but I have great sympathy, because you can't really imagine that one's horrible. I have great sympathy for what you're going through. And then the appropriate response will be, I will do everything to make this as simple and smooth as possible. Let's talk about what you need. Do you need a mover? Do you need a person to pack your house? Do you need someone to clean the house? What do you need? And of course, most people are preparing homes today. So maybe let's get a handyman out here. I can coordinate all of those people for you and take a lot of the stress so that you can actually pay attention to what's important for you. And then you're showing compassion, empathy, and so on. And I call that putting, that's a little mini training I do called putting yourself in the shoes of the client. And when I do it, I'm a better coach. If I don't, I can tell that I didn't listen. I didn't really go where they are. So that's part of the whole listening thing is go see what they're experiencing. And it's usually crap. It's not good. So. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let me just hold on a second because I'm going to switch something so that doesn't uh, give the feedback. Okay, so I think this will be better. Maybe I won't have all the feedback. Um, so I want you to sell my house if I ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, we'll do that. Okay. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So what you've done for that woman is, and you can probably tell they're 
how they relax on the phone. Mm -hmm. You could probably feel how, oh, here's somebody that's going to help me with these five or six high stress places in my life. It's not just the house. It's my family. It's all these other things. And wow, why would not she, why wouldn't she want you to do that? Because you understand what she's going through. I mean, it's so important, you know, what you do. And of course you have to be, I understand at the top of your game to, um, to ask the questions and, and categorize. Okay. And remember that she's stressful in all these situations, but, um, you obviously can can see and hear them relax in the moment, right? And they yeah. Uh, Another tip, by the way, Brian, is that if you heard that in the beginning of the relationship, this is a true story. Somebody said when she was leaving her house, I used to be an agent thirty years ago. This woman is crying while we're talking about the house, and she said, "I raised my two kids here. I'm so sad to leave this. I don't want to move to Harbor Drive and Piedmont." And she's moving to a beautiful lit location, beautiful house, but she's leaving her family house where her memories are. And so when we do the final walkthrough, which is probably two to three months later, I remember that teary engagement. And I just say to her, I remember how sad it is, but I want you to also just relish in those memories and just let's enjoy. And so we kind of walked around the house and just talked about what she had done with the house and how her kids had been raised there. And her kids were in their probably thirties by this time. And it, it was still teary but it was really a connected moment. And I, I just loved her. She was a sweet, precious, down-to-earth woman. And we just were kind of the same people. And I would have sobbed too all the way through that house. You know, I could see what she was talking about. She had been there a long time, I think a full on 30 years and then moved. That's a long time. Is that, I mean, you probably pay attention to that, uh, doing a little bit of closure. If there's a woman like that, that's leaving something, I mean, you, you tapped in and you listened to what was important to her. And that's, you know, that's going to go with her feeling more closure about the house and looking forward to the next step. And so that's, um, how does closure come into, say you're doing a meeting or a, a training? I mean, they're probably going to be back. Is there a certain thing you do like at the end of a meeting or a conversation with a, an agent or something that, that brings you like into a, I'm not sure how to say this, but just a, a closure for this piece of work that we just did with communications. Um, That's a, uh, that might be a different answer for different situations. I'll give you a couple, maybe three, because every single one's different. So if I have a client in front of me, it could be a real estate mortgage broker or whatever. So the new guy, the car dealership guy, it could be somebody who's upset by something that happened during our interaction. And I make sure the last five to 10 minutes, we are kind of winding down and moving away from quote, the topic that was upsetting. Let's say it's conflict they had with a client and they're trying to work it out. And they're going on and on and on. But if they're not moving towards looking at it realistically, I would say, what's the truth about the situation? Moving away from the, the story versus the facts. So I call it the emotion versus the facts. And once they get to the facts, they say, ah, this is what happened. I didn't do anything wrong. The client acted out or I acted out or I escalated the little upset. And they look at the facts, then they kind of find closure on that. And then we can end the meeting and set the next appointment. That's one thing I do with upset. Other times there's nothing to kind of make sure that I've got you know, wound up or completed. I use the word complete. Are we complete on that? 
And uh, we might just end the conversation and say, okay, I think we've covered the three major topics in the hour. Are you ready to move on to setting the next appointment? And most of the time, that's, that's super easy. The other one is challenging. I myself have gone to a therapist years ago, and I remember sometimes when I would leave his office, I was still so upset by what we talked about that I couldn't actually get in my car and drive and have to sit in my car and ponder and process for a while. And then once I process, then I could drive. But I thought, I'm going to sit here and sob for another 10 minutes. So I actually said to him, wonderful guy named Philip, said, Philip, could we get to like the end of the upset before I walk out of here? Because I need to like get calm and stuff because I feel I'm dangerous getting in a car. And I can't always, you know, sit there for 10 or 15 minutes and detox and then drive. And he said, yeah. So we wound down the upset, whatever it is I was talking about, a lot sooner in the one hour session. That helped a lot. I learned that from him. Yeah. And I, I get that it's individual. It's not a, a, a course. It's not a, you can't do a blanket situation with everybody because no. all the situations are different. Well, let me, um, let me ask you about, because um, we're, we're winding now, we got, we got some more time, but um, what do you want, um, you know, how can they contact you? And I've got some more questions, but uh, I want to make sure we have time for how people can contact you if they're interested or. Uh, okay, absolutely. And I can put some stuff in the show notes too, so. Okay. My website is just kittycole.com, so K-I-T-T-Y-C-O-L-E.com, easy to find me. And my phone number is in there somewhere, but you can also just call this number. It's 925-408-4424, that's my cell, and leave me a message and I'll call you back. Thank you for that. Appreciate that little plug. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I know from, from looking at your information, you've done, uh, worked with people all over Northern California. So is that still, um, available for people all over the uh, yes. state yes. to fall? Okay. Yes, so I've actually had a few clients that I've never met, just coached by phone because they found me online. And um, I just want to say this because it's not always just real estate and mortgage brokerage. I actually coached a dog trainer, uh, two doctors, some lawyers, architects, engineers. A um, One of the ones that was kind of fun was a stager. So a stager is somebody who stages properties for sale. And that was interesting to help her build her business and uh, a biologist, an accountant. So a little bit of all kinds of industries because the principles are still the same in coaching. It's just the details are different. So now a car dealership coach. I've coached other coaches to be coaches too. I've done that for a long time. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating story about him. Um, and it, it reminds me that people, um, well, of course, he probably doesn't want to be a car salesman his whole life, although, that's where he started. And of course they promote him out of that. Um, but people, you know, get to choose where they want to go. Yeah. Um, what else about, you know, when, when we first started talking about this, it, it was amazing because I didn't imagine real estate people would be so interested in communication. Mm -hmm. It's not one of the um, careers, I guess, that I would, think that is big on communication. I mean, I think of, of course, conflict resolution and mediation and all those are definitely into communication, but it's really, it's a big word ubiquitous, but communication's involved in everything. 
I think it's the core of all conflict too. So I mean, something, some blip happened to cause it. So um, just one thing I want to say, there's a lot to communication as a whole, and I call it like the five or six components of, of communication. So one is listening, another is probing, are you good at questioning? Uh, another is reflecting, deflecting, and then kind of absorbing the whole thing. So there's five or six components of just normal one-on-one -on -one communication. Then another skill on top of that, I always kind of think of the layers. If you're good at conflict resolution, you know how to assuage people's feelings. You know how to calm your own down. I'm talking a little bit about some stuff from Eckhart Tolle's book and um, another trainer that I took. Um, can't think of it. Hold on one second. Um, well, it's a combination of Myers-Briggs, NLP, uh, disc profile, a lot of other things. But do you know what to do to calm yourself down? Do you know what to do to calm the other person down? It's not manipulate them or um, control them, but it's to influence their thinking. It's to get them to see. It's education, it's facilitation, and so on. But somebody who's good at listening generally is good at all the other four or five. And then when you get good at conflict resolution, generally you're really good at negotiation. So that's like the top level from my point of view. And I teach all of those. So, and I don't do them in formal courses very often, but I do with the negotiation and conflict the most. I have to say the, con the most common topic that I coach on is somebody had a fight with somebody and they call me up and say, I, you know, I got fired by a buyer. Um, I, my manager and I had a bunch of words. Somebody in the staff, you know, was rude to me and I don't know what to do with it. And the other agent on the other side of the transaction was nasty. And, 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 and what do I do with it? And I'll just give you one rule that I think is so important about conflict. People try to solve conflict by email, meaning there's no, in the communication world, there's no verbal, right? There's no tone of voice and there's no face-to-face -face where you could see body language and a smiling face. So on the phone, you can obviously try to have a, put a smile in your voice and overcome the lack of nonverbal. But when you're in email, and now Zoom obviously is better because we see each other's faces when we hear voices, but in email, when you try to solve conflict, you're missing two of the biggest components of communication, and that almost always makes conflict blow up. So my rule is don't ever try to solve conflict by email. I did it once with owners, two owners of a big firm, a real estate firm in Berkeley and Oakland. While I'm writing the email back to them, trying to explain what I'm saying, my opinion, I'm thinking this isn't going to be interpreted correctly, and I'm taking a chance of doing it. As soon as I do it, I get a retort from the two of them and they're mad at me. And I said, I broke my own rule. I should have gotten on the phone so you could hear what my voice was saying. You're taking the words wrong. I didn't write a great email, really good lesson. So I don't do that anymore. I get on the phone or I get in front of somebody or now Zoom to solve conflict so, and helpful. Yeah, and that would go for texting too, right? Our, oh yeah. Our favorite uh, mode of operation now. And exactly. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, just a couple minutes. Where's that going to go? I mean, I see, I don't know, I, I, I don't see the texting and email is, is beneficial for relationships and, and getting content. So unless there's a new technology that's going to automatically allow all that to flood into our what what do you think? What's besides face to face? I mean, I that's the best, right? I mean, what else? It is the best. I prefer it. But you know, you and I are of that generation. That's what we grew up in, and that's what we really knew. And so we're not used to texting and email. 
I think texting an email is fine as long as you have an understanding of the personality style and communication style on the other side. But what happens is a lot of times we misunderstand each other and then we're off to the races making up some big story about what they said in their text or email and we're upset. But did we ask? No. So as we've all kind of noticed, the younger generation who grew up on texting and email have a dearth of communication skills. Their social skills are a little bit missing and they get into trouble a lot. And I think what is happening is they'll probably get upset with clients more, they'll have misunderstandings more. And uh, my own niece is in that generation and she's told me, yes, most of us don't. She works on it. She makes sure that she's a great communicator. She doesn't solve conflict by email. So I think there's an awful lot of people that are um, relying on that because they're conflict avoiders. This is a whole other topic, Brian, but it's a giant one that I bring up all the time. But I think the vast majority of people are conflict avoiders. I don't like it personally, but I deal with it because as a coach, I have to be good at it. And anybody who's in as a coach has to train themselves to be really well-rounded in all skills. It's probably my weakest point. I don't like it. I'll jump in and deal with it on a timely basis because I always say conflict doesn't get better with age like wine. Mm. That's kind of funny. <laughs> Just it gets worse. Yeah. It, it don't does. let it sit there. Yeah, we make up, you know, I talked about we're meaning-making people. So if we don't hear or this is our story about the interaction we had, I'm going to keep making up stories until it's resolved or I change my mind or self-regulate or whatever. So, yeah, you're right. We have to be engaged. Yeah, we do. So what else do you want to tell uh, the listeners or me? Um, we've got your information at kittycole.com. It's just lowercase kittycole.com no dots so, in between yeah, thank you for that one just funny thing it's just like a caveat about that exercise i was talking about so let's say the uh, the viewers go home and find a friend or family member or whatever a neighbor to have this conversation the exercise where i said listen to them take the answer decide what your next statement or your question is going to be but using their information and, and don't go ahead too fast and stay present the one thing that happens by the way in a lot of spouses have told me this. They said, I was so different from my spouse for the first time in whatever 23 years that they asked me if I was having an affair. So <laughs> I said, really? Okay. So the sidebar of this is they're going to think something's up. So you have to maybe say afterwards, or maybe even before, I'm doing a listening exercise with you. Will you just go with us on the end and just see how it goes? Because it should change their relationship. But it's so out of their comfort zone that the person on the other end of the exercise is thinking, hmm, what's up? What are you doing? And why are you doing it? And sometimes they don't like it. But anyway, I think it, it deepens relationships. Yeah, we, we, want that, we want that. We want it to be the same so that we're comfortable, but uh, it's good to push the envelope and try practices in groups and relationships to, to keep it fresh, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I think everybody gets stale in their relationships, even after a few years. It doesn't have to be 10 or 20. It's just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's, here's one last thing to end on. One of my coaching clients said something brilliant. Is She's been married a long time, probably 40 years now. She's in Walnut Creek. And she said, my husband and I renegotiate our marriage every 10 years in writing. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, just how we're operating with each other. And if we like it, you know, are we communicating well? Are we enjoying each other's company and stuff? And she says it freshens the marriage every, you know, every 10 years. I thought, 
I probably would do it more often, but I think it's great because they both change and not necessarily growing together. They grow apart, but it pulls them back together and that's what's kept them together. I think it's great. Her name is Terry. She's super smart, super interesting and <clears throat> very connected to me. Even if I never see her again, I will think about Terry fondly because of all the stories that she told me. Yeah, and no wonder they're still together if they renegotiate all the time. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, this is this has been a fa uh, fantastic and fascinating chat with you today. Thank you. And, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks. And keep doing the work, you know. Thank you. I hope people call and, and check you out. So thanks again. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. And thanks for the prompting. You had a lot of questions that were you know, off the cuff and, and made me think. So it's going to stimulate some work on my side. Appreciate that from you. Oh, good, good. I tried to listen the best I could. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> you did a pretty good job, Brian. Thank All you right. so much. Have okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, The Spoken Symbol, and would like to support it, please go to my page on anchor.fm and click on the listener support button. You can support the podcast from 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. I'm always grateful for your support. Thank you. Kitty Cole has been a business coach, trainer, and speaker since 1993. She has mentored thousands of real estate agents and managers, mortgage brokers and owners, as well as coaching executives in other fields such as engineering, architecture, public relations, medical services, and telecommunications. Her clients included AT&T Wireless, RPM Mortgage, The Lonely Planet, and almost every real estate company in Northern California. She has conducted workshops and facilitated company retreats for many of them. During her 26-year coaching practice, Kitty supported one of her clients, the Grub Company, in two capacities, consultant and sales manager over five years. Responsible for 55 agents during her tenure, she significantly grew both the listing and selling market share of the company. Years ago, Kitty sold real estate for Mason McDuffie, a regional real estate company in Northern California. A member of their president's club, she was number five of 565 agents in her third business year. Prior to that, she mastered retail sales as a buyer and store manager for iMagnon. Kitty holds a BA in management from St. Mary's College. Again, and thanks for listening to this fascinating interview with Kitty Cole. And I just have a few show notes, and of course, I have a poem, a recent poem about listening I want to share. So please stay tuned for a couple minutes here as I wrap up. Um, I just find it's always interesting with 
interesting people and and she's paramount in her in her business you can tell by her bio and all that she's done and dedicated her life really to communications and listening and teaching people so um, I want to thank Kitty again and it's always interesting to me how how large people that take up in other words not large people but how um, how big a place she has has been in her in um, East Bay and certainly Northern California to all the real estate companies she's worked with and the people and it all started it sounds like with her story about her father and how she paid attention to how he communicated with people at at the, at the dinner table or when people would come over for um, a social hour or whatever and it made an impression on her and, and although uh, he seemed to talk at her not to her but it made an impression on her and she and lots of times in, in my work in the shamanic world we talk about the the wound and how the wound is our is our path is is our way out of uh, into our expertise or our job or our career and it certainly made an impression on her to to be able to to woo people and understand people and yet she put the point in there how uh, to be able to listen and that's where it really makes a, a difference with everybody in your your family and relationships and work and career so um, not talking at me but talk to the people and how important was it to be present and empathic show eye contact in her book uh, the gift of listening uh, look for that coming out uh, the gift of listening by kitty cole um, if i uh, hear from her i'll certainly put out an email to my list uh, when that's available but just jot that down the gift of listening uh, and certainly any any career you're in family friends uh, pass that around because there's some valuable uh, topics and practices in there and it is a practice we know that from uh, from talking to kitty and just in our own our own practices whether it's meditation uh, exercise our practices keeps us keeps us going and on focus and another couple things about reframing keeping the focus on on people uh, I especially liked it uh, I have people in my family and close friends and certainly in my career where um, it was a struggle to pay attention to them and a struggle to maybe even like them but um, a couple of the stories talked about we don't really know people um, we don't know people just by our, our casual conversations and not until we ask deeper questions and I want to be honest that trying to run the show and look at my notes and to ask her questions listening back over it I could tell when I wasn't when I hadn't grasped her last comment 
and I was kind of fumbling for how to ask the next question. And of course, if we were just having a, a, a conversation and I wasn't running the, the podcast, it would have been easier for me. But I, I got how difficult it is with all the distractions in our lives, with all the media, phones, everything. It takes focus to, to pay attention to people. And that's certainly part of our practice right now as to how to uh, engage with people on a deeper level. Find out what's going on with them and they'll tell you by their conversation and then you get to ask a deeper question where they can reveal more of themselves and, and be both of you be vulnerable. Um, how to get them comfortable. You know, the best way is for you to be present. And I especially liked when she said, uh, hear what they didn't say, you know, listen between the lines. And especially if you're good at your career, your job, you know you can help people by bringing them into, oh, I heard this, that means there's stress involved. How can I help them get through that stress? Um, and of course, put them in your shoes. Lots of times we're, we're in our own head and we want to answer the question before it's, it's even asked. Um, so building rapport is the next step. Um, we probably all know a narcissist, you know, and maybe different parts of our lives. We've been a narcissist, narcissist, um, and it's a practice to hear yourself talking all the time. When can I get the, uh, the conversation back to them? Um, and paying attention to what they tell you and uh, certainly remembering, if not memorizing, things that are important, important to people. So again, look for her, her, her book coming out. Gift of Listening. Uh, what other notes do I want to talk about? Yeah, the phrase "Tell me more" is always good to 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 drill down deeper in a conversation. Um, and now it reminded me of all the stress. In some respects, there's more stress now with with the COVID situation. In some ways, there's less stress. Um, so it's different. You know, we're finding out that it's nice to be home, maybe not having to drive so much. And yet the kids are home. And, and so there's that stress level. But it's about being open to to new possibilities right now. I think that's that's a key point. Uh, it's not going to go like back to where it was. And wishing that is is not being present. So, um, whether it's kids or family, what's asking, what's all this asking of us at this point to pay attention to in a different way? What different questions can I ask? And also not to get stuck on, on the COVID situation and the challenges in it or the political ramifications of all of it. We know what's going on and can we focus our conversations on getting better 
and helping people, supporting people, um, helping people re-engage in their job or their career. What can I do with the shutdown that'll make me ready when it starts to open up? And I especially like the part about uh, being complete. Um, what's what's true about the story we've we've told ourselves about? Say there's a, a minor conflict between people or groups. Um, find out what they're experiencing. I, I know it's a key a key part in conflict resolution work. You're at a table with two people having a conflict or a group. And how can we get the facts out? You know, the story is more made up in our own minds, but the facts, if those are shared, and we realize that our own stories have colored the situation, you know, how can we get complete with the facts and then understand our own stories about the situation that are not helpful? I like that part of the conversation with her. So again, her email is kittycole.com. And you can also call and leave a phone number at 925-408-4424. And again, I think some of the last topic we talked about was emails and how emails are not good for solving conflict. Get on the phone. Even uh, Zoom is better because you're face-to-face. But then, obviously, face-to-face is definitely the best. If it's a real intense problem, uh, you could start out with a phone call, go to Zoom, and then maybe meet meet up and and finally resolve the issue. Um, And everything's going to be better if we pay attention to resolving things. So, um, my last comment is enjoy and be well. And then I'm going to share a poem with you that came uh, recently. And it happens to be about listening. And I'll read it twice just to help it sink in. Listening. I could sit here all day watching, listening to trees, the wind, my heart. Though my heart is the least loud, the trees and nature are themselves loud, boisterous, squawking, telling their story, being their story every day. My heart wants to be like nature. It wants to sing and be glorious, colorful, expressive, known and seen. My heart is listening always, finding its way bolder than before my heart loves I love my grandboys oh how precious like little birds in a nest in the world molded by parents venturing out laughing screaming running jumping my heart smiles thinking of their little bodies yet larger minds larger more expressive than mine They see unfettered the universe, play as if king in their castles. They are baby birds waiting for food, open mouths upward to the sky, 
the same sky that Bushmen baptized their babies to, unafraid to drink open-mouthed to the sky full of rain, lightning, and song. My heart becomes louder when I think of those boys and all young children, open loud like nature, quiet too when listening to stories. I like the story of wind between trees, tall trees speaking together, surviving through listening, learning through listening. Again, listening. I could sit here all day watching, listening to trees, the wind, my heart, though my heart is the least loud. The trees and nature are themselves loud, boisterous, squawking, telling their story, being their story every day. My heart wants to be like nature. It wants to sing and be glorious, colorful, expressive, known, and seen. My heart is listening always, finding its way, bolder than before, my heart loves. I love my grandboys, oh how precious, like little birds in a nest in the world, molded by parents, venturing out, laughing, screaming, running, jumping. My heart smiles thinking of their little bodies, yet larger minds, larger, more expressive than mine. They see unfettered the universe, play as if the king in their castles. They are baby birds waiting for food, open mouths upward to the sky, the same sky the Bushmen baptized their babies to, unafraid to drink open-mouthed to the sky, full of rain, lightning, and song. My heart becomes louder when I think of those boys and all young children, open loud like nature, Quiet, too, when listening to stories, like the story of wind between trees, tall trees speaking together, surviving through listening, learning through listening. Thanks again, and would love to have you donate if you can on anchor.fm. And enjoy and be well until next episode.